Hello, friends. Welcome to 1,000 Words, Stories on the Way. My name is Matthew Clark. Uh, what a strange time. Um, I'd, I'd like to write something really, you know, timely for the situation right now, but honestly, I don't. I kind of don't know what to say, um, and I don't want to hurry. I want to think about it. Um, so this week, I'm just going to share something that I wrote last September. I'm thinking about how dealing with the coronavirus uh, is, of course, obviously bringing out a lot of fear, bringing a lot of fear to the surface, but uh, I'm starting to notice that it's also bringing a lot of tenderness out. Uh, My brother mentioned today over lunch how easy it is when everything's going well for us, you know, to kind of ignore our own frailty and that of the people around us. Um, But there's something about having to face our weakness and our lack of control right now that uh, for many seems to actually be encouraging a kind of sensitivity, uh, solidarity, or or compassion. So that's kind of the irony I want to talk a little bit about this week, is uh, how our neediness and our weakness, uh, these things are gifts. Uh, Last week I was thinking about Nicodemus wrestling with the call to become like a little child again. And in some ways, we probably feel like scared little kids right now. Um, A couple of years ago, about the same time of year, I was feeling quarantined in my home. I was very lonely. I was very afraid. Uh, It was for entirely different reasons than we're facing right now, obviously, but The Lord met me in that place, and He's been using that experience ever since to slowly help me see my fragile, weak places as gifts, as opportunities to deepen contact with others. So I'm going to share an essay, and then stay tuned after the essay, because in our closing kind of benediction section, I'm going to welcome Susan Mulder who is a poet, and she's going to read a poem that she wrote for us called What If. But uh, here is this week's episode, Need is a Gift. The first three months of 2018 were dark for me. For the last several years, I've lived with my brother Sam, Before that, I'd always had some kind of living situation with other people. Now, I was returning after making my home on the road touring for the last four months. I was saying hello to the familiar little things around the house. But this time, something was different. I was the only one in the house. For the first time in well over a decade, I was living alone. Not by design. In fact... I hadn't really realized it would be the case till I stepped through the door that night. My brother had taken a new job as a group home parent at a ministry for mentally challenged adults, and though he technically still lived here, he was never home. But I had not accounted for his absence, and it descended upon me palpably, suddenly. That season, I sank into a depression brought on by that unexpected isolation. The dreariness of winter, what I came to understand as a natural post-tour crash, and 
a sense of aimlessness and fear. I started counting the days between seeing another live human, two, three days. Sometimes I'd go Sunday morning to Sunday morning without being physically in the presence of another living soul. It was incredibly lonely and I felt powerless to change it. Not to mention that one of the strange qualities of loneliness is that when you're in it, what you know you need becomes the last thing you feel able to want or reach for. It's not good for a human to be alone, Scripture reminds us. That's not just about marriage. It's a fundamental statement about how isolation withers a human soul. The image of God is Trinitarian, which means I can only locate myself within reality by means of relationship with others. That's true even for the members of the Trinity. The Son's identity is as one in relationship with the Father, and so on. But I was alone, and I didn't know how to get out of it. Because I had become so isolated, my ability to locate myself in reality had begun to dissolve. I felt badly disoriented. I started thinking sadder and sadder things, and I couldn't get out of that abysmal circuit of self-referential fear. And that scared me enough to force me out of the comfort of isolation, because let's be honest, it's strangely comfortable to pretend we can do all this by ourselves. How embarrassing to have to ask for help. Shouldn't I be able to do this? All the lies came flooding in that keep us from connecting. But finally, I reached out to a few friends and began asking for help. And it really did help, hard as it was to do. I knew I had friends who loved me, but they didn't know where I was or what was really going on, so how could they help? What a gift they were once I finally reached out. They showed up. They pulled back the drapes, and I remembered sunlight. Their faces and voices penetrated the dark, sad imaginings of my lonely mind, so the lies began to grow pale in the light of their love. That was almost two years ago. And it was just the beginning of a lesson I'm still trying to learn. Our needs are a gift. Our limitations are a precious resource because they drive us outward into relationship. If I could do everything myself, I would. Why? Because it would ostensibly eliminate the messiness of risk and the pain of failure. As soon as I involve other people in my life, it gets more complicated. Isolation is safe. Isolation is deadly. There are at least three occasions on which limitations and needs draw us out into the gift of loving connection. Number one, for starters, we may not know how to do something, so we ask for help. I sheepishly asked the inkling scholar Dr. Diana Glyer, how to pronounce the name of the poem Tolkien wrote to Lewis, Mythopoeia. 
She told me, and I admitted I had felt ashamed to have to ask. But she looked me in the eyes and said, Never, ever be ashamed of not knowing something. Always, always ask. Secondly, you may discover you are firmly incapable of doing something. I marvel at my friend Kevin Chandler, who has spinal muscular atrophy and requires a wheelchair and 24-7 assistance. Kevin is a brilliant and prolific author and world traveler. Through his nonprofit We Carry Kevin, he's created a line of backpacks that allow wheelchair-bound folks to be carried on the backs of their friends for previously unimaginable mobility. The thing about Kevin is that he has no qualms about involving other people in his life. He freely asks for help and doesn't seem daunted by the messiness that connection brings with it. Kevin knows just about everybody in his town, and they all know him. He has a wonderful gift for seeing people and making them feel seen and loved. His gifts have blossomed directly from his needs. Often our abilities, paradoxically, emanate from our disabilities. Number three. Lastly, there may be times when we do know how to do something, and we are, in fact, capable of doing it ourselves, yet we choose to create a space for someone else to get involved in our life. This seems to me is what Jesus does. It's hard to explain except in terms of love. Practically, the first two examples make sense. I ask for help because I need it. But what about learning to ask for help just because we love sharing our lives with others? Jesus doesn't need us. He has the know-how and the capability to get his work done without us. In fact, he could avoid a lot of hassle if he just left us out of the equation. But God's arithmetic doesn't add up in terms of expediency. God's way of life is love, which is bound to appear beautifully foolish. Jesus asks for help because he knows life isn't about doing things precisely perfect. It's about living and working together. There's a phrase that pops up again and again in the New Testament. Make my joy complete. It seems that God's joy isn't quite complete until his children are in on it. The Lord intentionally leaves gaps for us to fill. When he sends out the 72, he doesn't babysit them. He entrusts the work to them and lets them truly respond as real collaborators. The primary language for the way God relates to us in the New Testament is familial. It makes sense to call us the bride, or co-heirs with Christ, children, and so on, since we are real, participating family members. What the Lord began to teach me those lonely winter months a couple of years ago, I'm still working to learn. I'm still learning how to see my needs and limitations as precious resources, as real gifts from God. My inadequacies can 
move me into relationship and teach me to love and be loved. My inabilities can create opportunities for creative collaboration. Choosing, like Christ, to be vulnerable, even weak, creates a surprising invitation to make room for others to be with us and for us to be with them. To send us out this week, I want to include a poem uh, written by Susan Mulder. We're both members of a writing community over at thecultivatingproject.com. You've heard me mention that before. It's a quarterly online magazine. Uh, and the spring issue will be out pretty soon. But Susan wrote a wonderful poem called What If for the last issue, the winter issue. And her poem, like this week's essay, it was written before the current situation. Uh, but I think it really has some good word to speak into it. Um, by the way, Susan hosts her own podcast called Poet Kind. Uh, she's on Instagram at That's Me, Susan Mulder. And you can find her on her website, susanmulder.com. That's Susan, Mulder is M-U-L-D-E-R, susanmulder.com. So here is Susan reading her poem, What If? What if we were awake to our mortality instead of begging time, recognize the beloved moment for what it is, radiant with the unbelievable, breaking the night, it's undeniable reminder that we are called to the prescient now with all its terrible, glorious unknowns. What if we live the beautiful, simple seconds and minutes and hours and days, each as the offering they are to be released into existence, vibrating to life, filling the emptiness with the magnificent ordinary, the spilled milk of living? What if we see scattered toys, the mess, pretend preparations for the forgetfulness of adulthood, the joyful lostness of wild imaginings, where fearful tigers tussle with woolen crocodiles and threadbare rabbits prepare a feast, this magic place where good winds, pain erased with a tenderly applied bandage and a kiss? What if... We welcome discomfort as an old friend. Sit a while and accept the company. Replace weariness with wonder at the mystery of it all. Invite the unexplained and the stranger to tea. Leave fear and guilt to their own devices. See others with tenderness, not judgment. Replace comparison with compassion. What if we began again refused to drown out the music inviting us to dance, to embody ourselves and each other in unified unknowing, when poised at the choice of joy, leap with arms extended, palms open to receive the inexhaustible generosity that waits for us, not just once in a while, but every day. What if... Thanks so much, Susan, for sharing your poetry with us. I love the two lines uh, about... These just stuck out to me immediately. The two lines about the spilled milk of life and uh, also the joyful lostness of wild imaginings. Those are so great, great lines. 
Um, thanks for sharing that point with us, Susan. Um, well, friends, uh, use all the tools within reach to reach out from your places of need. Uh, pray for one another. Call a friend. Uh, post something beautiful online or make something with life and love in it. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, share it uh, and leave a review on iTunes. Um, that is all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.